You're listening to Eureka on Monocle Radio, brought to you by the team behind The Entrepreneurs, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies, and fresh ideas in global business. I'm Tom Edwards. On today's program, we're celebrating the new year with a glass of bubbly. Simon and Tamara Roberts are the brother and sister team at the heart of Ridgeview Wine Estate, a family-led business making globally acclaimed English sparkling wine with a focus on sustainability, quality and ethical practices from grape to glass. With a variety of wines named after famous pockets of London, Fitzrovia, Bloomsbury and Cavendish, the brand has played a pivotal role in elevating English sparkling on the world stage, winning awards and fans, including the royal family no less, along the way. So how do you balance tremendous growth with maintaining the highest levels of quality? And how do you make your mark internationally without losing focus on the domestic opportunity? Our Laura Kramer went to Sussex to meet the second generation winemakers and, of course, to try some of the delicious cuvées. I'm in East Sussex, where rolling hills and vineyards stretch as far as the eye can see. I'm here to meet the team at Ridgeview. Director of winemaking Simon Roberts starts out by telling me about the importance of the winery's location. We're stood on the, um, the roof terrace of our restaurant, looking over our Chardonnay vineyards. And then in the background, you've got the South Downs. And literally the other side of that is Brighton. So the sea is only eight miles away, which is really, I think, is a really important part of what makes Ridgeview quite unique. We have three growers that have a similar proximity to the sea to us. And our Chardonnay in each of those three vineyards has like a salinity and a savouriness on the back palate that none of our other Chardonnay vineyards have. And I'm really sure that's because, you know, they're taking that flavour from being so close to the sea. But also, really importantly, directly south of us is Ditchling Beacon, which is the highest point in this part of the South Downs. So during the summer, when most of the weather comes from like the, the, anywhere between the southwest, south or southeast, it works very much as a weather shadow. So obviously we do get rain, but you can see the storm clouds coming in and they'll part at Ditchling Beacon. So it'll be raining in Lewis or raining in Burgess Hill, but we don't get quite as much rain as everyone else. So I think that really helps. We have a, like a really good microclimate as well. So that's... Yeah, I think we're very lucky. In two years, Ridgeview is celebrating its 30th anniversary, and Simon fondly looks back at how it all began in 1995. So mum and dad had a software and computer company, which they sold and wanted to start making wine. Originally, I think they were looking somewhere in France, but this came on the market. It's only about 10 minutes from where we grew up and decided they wanted to plant a vineyard. Yeah, and that was the start of it. So I joined. So I just finished studying something completely different at college. So oh, I'll help for the summer. Never even sat on a tractor, didn't know anything about farming and absolutely loved it. Loved being outside and loved learning about the vines. So went back to college to study viticulture and kind of winemaking sort of kind of was a second focus really. It wasn't really a focus for me, but kind of out of necessity, I sort of helped out in the winery and then became full-time in 2002 so I went to I got experience in a few other wineries in England and then went to Australia and worked for a winery out there which is where I met Marty who then became went on to become my wife so 
And funnily enough, Tam's eldest is going to do vintage out there in February. So hopefully he doesn't come back with a wife as well. (laughs) (laughs) His sister Tamara officially got involved in the family-run business in 2004 when they wanted to grow the brand. And business has never been better. Moving it from where it was 20,000 bottles a year to we got up to 50 was the, the first growth and then up to 250 and now up to half a million. So, yeah, that's my kind of where I fit in in, in an extent. But I'm, I, I suppose I'm quite a commercial and also finance. And I think it's really important in this industry with finance as well, because it's such a capital intensive business that if you don't actually understand how cash flow works, you can quickly run out. Well, I did want to touch on that because you said half a million bottles. Where, aside from England, where are your other markets globally? Prior to the pandemic, we were definitely with the US, Asia and Scandinavia is probably still a strong market for us. I would say we're relatively passive in terms of export, but passively we've grown that. We grew that quite, quite well and we're just now looking again at the export side of the business and looking at getting the distribution right in the US because it's a tricky it's a very hard market and also then reinvigorating some of the other markets that perhaps we've been, we've just been quite passive with focusing very much on domestic because there's still quite a lot of untapped opportunity over here because even though it sounds that we've only just reached that sort of level of production we've still got three years for that to be ready for sale so we're kind of growing up to that at the moment but up until recently probably a lot of larger accounts just weren't open to us because we just didn't have the stock availability to move into them so I think there's still a lot of opportunity domestically but also looking at more sort of strategic export as well is, is kind of the the next step for us. And with that Tamara and Simon start giving me a tour of the premises. We have 16 barrels here in front of us. We've got, we have another sort of another 12 next door as well. So nearly all of our wines will have an oak component, but when you taste the wines, apart from one, you should never taste the oak. So it's always there for a complexity. I love working with oak. And so we've got lots of various ages here. So everything going back to 15 year old barrels, which technically shouldn't impart any complexity or any flavour profile, but they still do. There's a really well-known cooperage called Redoux, based in Dijon, and they were looking for a way into the UK market. So they phoned us up just before harvest in 2015 and said, oh, would you like any oak bells? So we were like, wow, yes, please. And then when the lawyer arrived, everyone was so excited because we'd never had new oak before. I think even the bells got hugged at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Now that the winery is growing to a bigger volume, the team want to build a barrel shed so they can have it more temperature controlled and improve how they look after the barrels. So this is our new space. So we moved into here in the summer and we literally finished everything. So these catwalks only got finished last week. So it's been, harvest was quite a challenge. So we still had a pretty much unfinished winery and trying to process our biggest ever harvest. But um, we're really happy with the space. So we this is designed as a 600 ton winery before that we're about a 350 400 ton winery so it's a big expansion so it just gives sort of um evidence to our focus on the growth for the next five years and then when we started harvest in october this is going to be huge we ended up with 846 tons <laughs> so it was it was a challenge but the 
what's really impressive is the quality was excellent. It was really, really good. So it was a good baptism of fire. So some things didn't work quite as we thought, but other things worked so much better. So it's, yeah, it was good. It was good harvest. And when did harvest officially end? Because you started in October. My thing is I hate harvesting in November. And I think we finished about the 28th or 29th of October. When you get to November, especially in southern England, it's like it's, it's cold, get start really early, nothing's going to ripen, so there's no development in the grapes. So it's like, it's almost not pointless because it's still volume, but it's just, it's not very, it's not very pleasant. So that was my goal, that was my KPI, was to finish before November started, and we did just. During lockdown, Tamara suggested that the business should use the time to focus on sustainability and take the time to apply for B Corp accreditation. I think we weren't the only business during that time to have had that idea as well in the UK. So there was quite a lot of businesses going through that process. But we were really proud to be, I think, the first wine producer in the UK to achieve it. I mean, only the 23rd in the world or 24th in the world. I mean, there aren't many wineries with B Corp. We head into another building to meet the rest of the team. We're packing up online orders for customers and corporate orders to go out. And how many do you have to get through today? So there's those, Charlie's doing a few, maybe about a couple of hundred bottles. Helping out with the packaging is 18-year-old Owen, another member of the family. I'm third generation, I'm Tamara's son and Simon's nephew. Are you going to go into the wine business then after this? Um, Not first, but hopefully maybe come back to it someday. Um, I'm going to go off to university next year, but we'll see where it takes me. That popping you can hear is with the gorging. So extracting the sediment, putting the cork and the muesli on, getting ready for boxing up and labelling. Simon and Tamara take me to a more quiet area to continue our tour in the cellar. The air is filled with a sort of yeasty smell as the wine undergoes its secondary fermentation, creating those tiny bubbles that we love. So when we bottle the wines, we add some more sugar, we add some yeast, more importantly, and it will go through a second fermentation in the bottle. So we have like a crown cap on. So normally at harvest, CO2 is just dissipated in the atmosphere, but obviously it can't escape, so it's absorbed into the into the wine, which is where you get the bubbles. Wow. So oh, wow. that's the it. sediment. It looks like when you make tea and there's a, exactly. a film on the bottom of the, on the side of the cup. So that sediment is so important. So obviously it's done its job. We've got all the bubbles, it's at six bar, but that sediment is where all the flavors imparted. So if you taste it, that, so down here in the cellar, it's at 15 degrees. So rather than two weeks of primary fermentation, it takes about three months. So it's really slow. So if you were to taste this at three months old, it would taste quite yeasty. And then that development progresses, becomes quite doughy, then it becomes bready, then toasty, then brioche. And if you leave it long enough, it will develop into almost burnt toast flavour. So depending on what style of wine you want, how long you age the wines. So our wines are very fruit-driven. So we want some of these age, but it's generally quite short. So our non-vintage is about 18 months or two years. And then our vintage wines are sort of three to five years. But um, we still want the fruit. Well, when we taste the wines, you'll see the fruit's so important to us. And on that note, we had to do the tasting. 
We are about to try some of the gorgeous sparkling wine. I wanted to ask, obviously you're a little partial, but what makes Ridgeview stand out in your opinion? <laughs> There's always such a tricky question. I find that a really tricky question, but I think for us, our house style has always been that sort of fresh, fruit-driven style, very approachable, but that sort of, I would say, but high quality across the board. You can, you can definitely taste it's a Ridgeview wine, I think, across the blends. Oh, that's delicious. Good. That is dangerously good. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Of all the wines, this is the one wine that we make that really is approachable. It's very easy going. You definitely want to have a second glass. As I selflessly dedicate myself to drinking the rest of the cuvées, Simon tells me about their plans for the future and what motivates him to keep going. From a winemaking point of view, I mean, just having the extra volume with the northern new vineyards coming along means that we can, I mean, we love experimenting in the vineyard, in the winery as well, just creating, you know, some trial skews and things like that. Just taking the business to the next step, really. Quality is paramount, 100%. Like, we would never cut corners as far as winemaking is concerned. But I feel I've done a good job, as, as many people as possible can taste our wines and say, actually, that's pretty good. No, I like that. You know, that's... And what I like the most about what we do is most people when they have sparkling wine it's always with us for celebration or not always but most often and we can feel that we're part of their joy and their happiness and that's that makes I love it I really like that you know and it's actually that's when we're blending I really do think of that. For Monocle in Sussex I'm Laura Kramer. Thanks, Laura. That was Ridgeview's Director of Winemaking, Simon Roberts, and CEO Tamara Roberts. You can find out more about the brand and their work by heading to ridgeview.co.uk. And that's all for this episode of Eureka. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out for the main programme. The Entrepreneurs is available every Wednesday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. And you can get in touch with Laura by emailing her at lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to Eureka.